welcome to Bubbling Up with your host Joe Sori and Steve Ramosi. We're going to be talking comics and comic-related stuff, and you're going to listen to us talk comics and comic-related stuff. Look, this is how podcasts work. I don't make the rules, okay? If all that sounds good to you, then keep listening, because here comes the show. Here we go. Hey there, Hooverers of Horror. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of comics. I'm your host, staying way, way, way out of the woods, Joe Soria, along with the fearless scout leader, Steve Ermosi. Keep my out for crazy deer people. Yeah, they're all over the place. You got to keep your eyes out for them there. They're yeah. all over the place. And skinless people, which I think this is our third comic of skinless human beings in the woods, possibly. <laughs> anyway, before we get into the discussion of The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado and Donnie, Danny, one day we'll figure out how to say it, either or. If you have any thoughts on the show, you can email us bubblinguppod at gmail.com or let us know what you think by reaching out on Instagram or liking or sharing or doing all the good stuff. We're here we want to have a conversation. We, it's our goal. We're having our own conversation and we want to share that love with other people. So hopefully you're enjoying it just as much as we're enjoying making it. So usually I'd drop it over to Steve, but on this one, this was a me random find at the library. The most recent time I finally got to go back to the library, which always excites me. My local library has a lot of good displays for new comics. So this comic, The Lolo Woods, was just sitting there. It had this great cover. It had that new DC Black label on it, which I'm hoping is the new Vertigo because we've already done and discussed Vertigo almost every single episode. And it had the Hill House Productions, which I think is the Joe Hill release. He's, you know, the creator of Lock and Key. He's Stephen King's son. He's released other comics. I've been reading all of the stuff that he's been releasing. I've been reading his short stories. So he's been kind of my entree into horror and getting me into a bunch of this stuff, especially Lock and Key, which I won't repeat all my other thoughts on the television show that I can't freaking start or finish because it's so disheartening. But yeah, so this is a short series, six issues. It's about two teenage girls in, I would say, the mid-90s, Elle and Octavia, living in a dying former Pennsylvania coal mining town named Shudder to Think that has an eerie, tortured past. Basically, we have a first issue. Each issue is very literary, literary titled. It has a unique vibe. It has a very strong sense of writing and titling and dialogue. It feels lived in right from the start. There's just great detail that kind of all pays off throughout the books, uh, personally, I think. At first, I was like, oh, this is going to be another kind of dark paper girls or, or something to that vibe. And then there's this great twist ending, I think, of the first book where there's a Phoenix-type thing that just kind of flashes near the window of two girls or women, you know, teenage girls, rendezvous. And one of the girls' stomach is just opened up into like a purple portal. And you're just like, oh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. That's not <laughs> where I was expecting. So that alone kind of just kept me reading the whole thing. And I was like, this is, I think this is going to have a great vibe. And then I started looking into the writer. This is her first comic. So I think she's been a literary writer and you can tell right away. So what were your initial impressions of the comic, Steve? Yeah, I, I really dug it. I thought that, um, it was a nice quick read. It was didn't get too bogged down in its own mythology, but at the same time, there was a lot there that was like interesting. Like you said, the, there's a character who is a sinkhole. <laughs> like there's a person who is a literal sinkhole. There's the deer creature that I mentioned earlier that you find out a little bit more about later on. There's all, all kinds of supernatural stuff happening on top of just this sad story about this dying 
shitty town that these characters are kind of just trapped in as it's like burning from below as there's right. this fire raging underground, which is like a real thing in uh-huh. places that are built on over mines and stuff like that. Oh. A mine catches on fire and it'll just burn forever. So it's like the tire fire that's been going on for like 30 years or whatever, 50 years, you know, that type of thing. But uh, it's interesting to see the look at that type of like dying, like industry town, and then just laying this supernatural factor over the top of it is really kind of cool. And it kind of has that vibe that not everyone's just reacting like it's surprising that there's something supernatural there. It's creepy and they're bothered by it, but it's also like they're taking it in some sense of stride. So yeah. it's that's what I really appreciate that it wasn't like everyone's shocked about every single thing that happens and maybe they've seen enough or they have this experience. I mean, there's a witch that's a little girl or something, you know, that, a creepy child. And I think there was a line early on that it says about the town. It said, this town is it's a very slow apocalypse one day someone will wake up and start to think they'll be the last person here. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it feels like. You have these smart women or girls or they're right on the cusp of going to college in a pivotal period. They feel fully fleshed out and lived in right away, which I really appreciated. There's a great exploration of, you know, their feelings toward each other. I think it's obvious they're both like queer in some way. I don't know if they're bi or one of them's bi or, or lesbian or, or what, but like, they have this friendship that's like, there's no like thought to like cross the line of what they are to each other, right? They're friends. Octavia has like a girlfriend, but clearly these two are the most important to each other. And then they have this like overlaid metaphor for their friendship where they actually like feel each other's pain and stuff like that, which is kind of a cool little added thing. But yeah, there's a lot getting unpacked here in terms of like being a young girl. And, you know, like I don't have that experience, but it's cool to see it getting shown in comics. There's a lot of talk these days about having representation of you like makes you feel good. And like, um, I want that for everybody, you know, Um, me being a white dude, I've seen myself in like everything. (laughs) It'd be cool. It's cool to see other people get to see themselves in good horror, good like genre fiction, stuff like that. Fresh voices, fresh markers here, I think is going on. And I, I think Donnie also, I think I said before the cast that, you know, it has this kind of noirish feeling, this dark noir. We've read a bunch of stuff. I'm wondering if we somehow we end up that now we love horror. I've never been a big horror like <laughs> film person, but the things we're reading, they always seem to be, we read the seeds being pretty dark and the Colin Bunn. And then you gave me a counter. I'm forgetting the other, but this kind of had that feeling of a uh, Harrow County pulled forward, especially in the art and like this mysterious area in kind of, I don't want to say straight bumblefuck, but not in a metropolitan area. So I appreciate it. And I think it's kind of feels so interesting when you read something that isn't written by a straight comic person where it's repetitive or maybe sometimes or kind of expected. All the dialogue felt very real and purposeful. I liked all of the internal monologues also were well done. They weren't just trying to pour more information. They were more really trying to get you to experience this person's perspective more and more. And you get a dual perspective, which I really thought was well done too, where they kind of flickered back and forth with these posted note type with a little bit of coloring. And I know you mentioned something about the letterer, which I thought was an interesting tidbit that might've just even subconsciously gave me more of an add-on to why I, I liked it. I'll let you call that out. I think you mentioned the writer, Carmen Maria Machado and the artist, Danny. So the colors on this were Tamara Bonvian. 
Bon Villan. The letterer is Steve Wands, who did a lot of lettering for Jeff Lemire, who if you've been listening to this <laughs> podcast, you know we just did two episodes on Jeff Lemire. So we have seen a bunch of Steve Wands' lettering, even without maybe realizing it every time. But um, So that's a cool little combination or connection. Yeah, it's definitely a subconscious connection, kind of like we just read Sweet Tooth. This has the Woods type feeling. This is a Woods comic. You know, that is the story that things are kind of hiding in the woods or something's in the woods. And this is, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we mentioned it, but it's brand new pretty much. I think it came out late last year. So it's definitely just such a strong, a strong voice. And I also liked, yeah, there's another Hell House. I think it's called Plunge. There's been a couple of really good works that are coming out of this. And I, I appreciate a nice, good, 120 page, six chapters, well-told story that doesn't try to waste my time. I think that (laughs) is a good entree to give other people that don't want to read a comic for the rest of their lives to get to the ending. People sometimes want to get to a a real ending, a satisfied. And I don't know if this is a full satisfied conclusion, but it it is a conclusion of sorts and it's very strong and well done. So like I said, I really did think the the art itself met a little Noiri, met a little Sean Phillips meets Paper Girls. I think also the secondary characters are used in a good way. You know, we mentioned the girl with the portal. She kind of looks like Married with Children era Christina Applegate. It's like there's this weird (laughs) underlying secret rendezvous relationship. There are these parents that, you know, are only in there fleetingly, but are important and well used. They have context where they're connected to the hotel that kind of becomes a big key character in the second half of the series. One of them worked there. The parents met there. And there's this one great story that she talks about the first date that they went on and it ends where he says like, you can get whatever you want to eat. And she orders a duck and he's like, anything else you want, you know, get whatever you want. And she just orders a second duck. And I said, (laughs) no problem. It's like, this was a second duck type relationship. And I thought that was a very apt, like beautiful metaphor of like, I want to give this person whatever they want, but not just using it in the most common terms. Even like the names, you know, the Shudder to Think Town, the Heaven on Earth Hotel, the references to a book from the turn of the 19th century, The Awakenings, which Awakening is a popular book, but is a different reference point than we're usually getting in comics of some kind of man in the sea or some kind of very stodgy standard reference point that always is always referenced where it's like crime and punishment or standards. So just all these elements, even the last one I had was on here was the Swiss army knife that had the told you so written into it. And there was this sign about the mining town. I forgot what it said, but like it's in the background there, the mushrooms, there's so many like little details here that that pay off and they were just so well done. So anything else that sticks out to you, Steve? Uh, I did enjoy the art quite a bit. I I love the kind of like, it's the style that you don't see a ton of detail, but the outline is there. It's kind of like a little scratchier style. I really like it. I know that it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I enjoy that a lot. Like kind of leaving something up to the imagination of your readers and, and giving the impression of what you want people to be seeing rather than like making this super detailed drawing of it. Which can also be cool. I mean, nothing to take away from anybody who does like really, really detailed illustration, but this style has a feeling to it that I personally enjoy quite a bit. Other than that, you know, we mentioned Steve Wan's lettering was solid. I enjoyed the writing. Carmen Maria Marchado, maybe her. I wonder if she'll do more comics and I wonder if her style will change a bit as she goes, you know, like if she'll get more focused or or not that it was unfocused, but I'm always interested in seeing what it's like when somebody goes from like writing prose to writing a comic because they are two different kind of styles, you know? 
we kind of touched on it. I feel like there's worthy themes that were really kind of addressed here that I want to specifically call out. Just we're skipping around kind of one of the big reveals, which is there's a lot in here that talk about the depravity of like indifference to sexual abuse, basically. Yeah. And that I think is the real, such a well-told part of the story that it didn't feel like shoehorned. It didn't feel forced. It felt very organic to the story and very, very strong. So I had some themes of memory, fragility, abuse, moving on or not moving on or dealing with issues. And then just that maturity, like we talked about, there's a portion about them going to college and one of them kind of saying like, maybe I'm not meant for college, that type of thing, which is a standard trope, but also was really done. So I, I thought that it's really important to point out that this is probably the best piece of art that I've seen to address kind of a consistent culture of abuse in a way that it's not just like rape scenes, right? It is a talking about the women kind of are waking up in random places and no one knows what happened and no one's looking into it type thing. And it's horrifying when you think about it, but it's also kind of allegorical instead of being gross about it. It's just kind of poignant, I think, or at least well told. Yeah, it's really well done in that the story doesn't ever show you what's happening, but it makes sure that you know what's going on. And and I love the fact that it gives the choice at the end to remember or to forget. It's putting the choice into the hands of the survivors of abuse rather than leaving the power in the hands of the people that were the abusers and, and that type of thing. I think that's a really important thematic element in here. The idea of like memory and repressed memories and things like that in terms of really traumatic events is done in, in an interesting allegorical type of way. I mean, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> we hadn't really delved much into the themes of this, which are like super the point, <laughs> all right? Yeah. Like the point of this whole thing. It's not like a straight up just horror genre thing. It's a lineage of metaphors yep. for things that are really going on. And it does a really good job of making you feel that discomfort around those types of things and around those types of discussions without, like you said, being gross about it or just like violent. I mean, there's not, making, there's not yeah. violence on the page. There's violence in what they're talking about and there's violence in the experience and in their, in their minds and, and not remembering the characters wake up in a movie theater and they're the only ones there and they don't remember why. And that's pretty much the opening of the book. And yeah. you kind of lose that when they're kind of exploring the relationship of the two friends. And then it, that's what expands it to the, the rest of the world. And I think that connects directly to the fire that's burning and, and destroying the town, right? The historical actions of like the mining people or the miners that were basically abusing women in totality and just tossing away their bodies and disrespecting them, you know, was burning the town alive. And that witch character is kind of like tried to blow up the city because it's kind of biblical. It's kind of Genesis era biblical, like this town doesn't deserve to survive. So there's just layers on layers on layers here that are, we're spoiling this if for some reason you didn't read this yet, but you're not spoiled because we're not giving you the visuals here. We're not showing you anything. We're just kind of telling you where it leads and it's still worth reading the path on this one. Similarly, we didn't touch on it and we don't always do it, but the covers in this that are fantastic. There's one, I think is the second one. That's just this like fiery face. And it's just like, looks like the woods are on fire. And then there's kind of a shadowy, I don't know what that color palette is called, but it's like brown where they're like 
shadowed in gold almost in the brown, pushing the bike. There's a whole thing about bikes in this that that's why I connect to probably paper girls to it because I have that like bike connection. I was just biking around, but just we talked about, you know, we felt like we were kind of stopping there, but there's really just so much more in this. I'm going to go right into recommendation. I just think this is not only one of the best comics I've read in a long time. I think it's one of the best stories, you know, especially short stories I've read in quite a while. And I don't know if it would have been as effective without the art, but this is one of the things that it could have lived without the art, but it was improved immensely by being able to visualize and connect the characters and to see this, these holes in people and these characters alive really, I think, amplifies the power of the whole story. I agree with that. I, so without describing it, I just want to say, like, if you've read this book, you'll probably remember the final page. Like, it's a splash page. And it's just a cool like summation of like a lot of stuff that's going on in there. And, and just that art, like you said, really elevates it above and beyond what the story itself was, even though the story is very, very important to this as well. The art kind of kicks it up a notch, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I highly recommend this. It's worth a read, especially if any of those themes that we mentioned earlier are of interest to you. Go yep. check it out. Yeah, definitely. I was going to just want to touch one more because you said that I think it's in the first issue and I just brought it up, but there's, it kind of looks like a, um, an album cover from like seventies, but there's the one where you see what's inside of their brains while they're talking to each other. And it's just the most beautiful image. And I think it's centered around, they're trying to figure out what happened to when they're in the movie theater and they wake up and then there's that creepy guy and whatever else. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff, but yeah, so I think we're both giving this, uh, you know, really high recommendation. I really do think it's worth your time, and I, I'm looking forward to more work both ways, especially the writer. I think the artist is also good. I thought this was kind of the one thing I'll connect it to as we read. I think it's blue and green, and I thought this was a better version of what that was trying to do. Or that one just kind of got lost and felt way too long. This one felt just right, even though they're probably the same length because the exploration was a little less meandering, a little less jazz. It's jazz in its own way, but it's not like deep jazz where you have to be a real, really a connoisseur maybe. This one I think you could enjoy from a different angle. And that one I remember just sometimes, maybe this is the sole version of that, but I think this is highly palatable even for what, you know, the darkness of the story and uh, can't recommend it more. So Lolo Woods, check it out. The next time we come around, we're going to be touching on First time for Ed Brubaker, who's a personal favorite of mine. We're going to be doing The Reckless. He's two graphic novels. They're kind of just a series of a new character, but they're standalone series. I think there's six issues each. They're like quick 90 to 100 page reads. This seems to be Brubaker's new move is just kind of making a book that's a comic and being done with it and just finishing the story. And I, like we said here, I'll say that I appreciate that. I don't feel like my time is wasted and everything seems like it's worthwhile. So next time we'll be touching Reckless. There's two of them. I'm not sure what they're exactly called, but I'm sure you can find them if you want to read up on them. Anything else for you, Steve? No, I'm looking forward to, uh, I have not read too much Brubaker, so I'm looking forward to reading a bit more. And uh, yeah, we'll talk yep. to you next next time. Sounds good. See you in a couple of weeks. And thanks for checking out Bubbling Up. Later. Yeah. It's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro's so nice, we used it twice. What? You want show credits over here? Alright. I was your production manager, Steve Ramosi. Still am, I guess. And the other guy was the brains of the whole operation. 
Joe Soria. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we hope we see you on the next episode. Uh, Goodbye. Great timing.